Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. You know, the world's been turned upside down since our last podcast with the passing of our hero for justice, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Her last wish passed on to us by her granddaughter was that her replacement on the bench be named by the next president, whoever wins on November 3rd, not necessarily this one. But of course, Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell don't give a damn. They are shamelessly and gleefully rushing to ram through a new justice before November 3rd, tilting the court to the far right and against the expressed will of the American people for decades. Is there any way to stop them? And if they do go through with this travesty, what can Democrats do if they win back the White House and the Senate? For answers and advice today, we turn to two people in the thick of the debate, First, Elizabeth Wydra, constitutional lawyer and president of the Constitutional Accountability Center. And then former Democratic Senator Byron Dorgan of North Dakota, who voted to confirm Ginsburg on the court way back in 1993. Elizabeth, good to see you again. Thanks for joining us here on the Bill Great Press Great to be Pod. with you, Bill. Thank you. So as a woman, as an attorney, uh, how big an influence was Ruth Bader Ginsburg in your life? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I remember being in high school uh, and writing a report on Frontiero versus Richardson, one of the path marking cases that Justice Ginsburg argued in the Supreme Court when she was a civil rights lawyer for the ACLU, working to ensure that the Constitution's guarantee of equal protection for all applied to women and men and trying to get rid of the rampant gender discrimination that then uh, was really reflected in laws across the board uh, that people lived under in, in this country. And obviously, we have a long way to go for gender equality. But in a real way, the conditions under which we live, and especially women being able to live and dream on equal terms as men are due in large part to Justice Ginsburg's work. So from the time I was at a formative age and <laughs> she was getting placed on the court and I was writing reports about her as a high schooler, um, you know, she really had an impact on my life. And obviously, as I became a constitutional lawyer, um, as I started practicing law at a law firm, um, working with the great Kathleen Sullivan. So again, having a wonderful female role model as a constitutional lawyer. Um, and then now being president of the Constitutional Accountability Center, Justice Ginsburg has always been kind of a North Star for me in terms of thinking of how the Constitution uh, 
it's at its core progressive document. And while its promises might not always be met and they might not always be a reality for all, the language and the guarantees in that document are something that we can use as tools to make really the equality and justice and liberty guaranteed to all of us a reality. And I had the pleasure of meeting Justice Ginsburg several times over the years and um, did this really great event with her last year at Georgetown um, that I encourage everyone to check out. You can look for it. Uh, We've linked to it at CAC's Twitter account, which is at my constitution. Um, And you know, there's a giant loss for me personally uh, with her passing, obviously a giant loss for the nation. And she lived a wonderful, full, long life where she did so many amazing things. Uh, you know, even just her career before she became a Supreme Court justice would yeah. be enormous for most of us. And then to have that entire um, career as a fierce advocate for justice and equality on the bench, you know, she lived an amazing life. It's those of us who are left here to carry on her legacy who are are really feeling this loss today. Huge loss, as you say, for the entire nation, for the court, for women, for all of us. Uh, so now the key question, who should name her replacement? Well, I think we, you know, as usual, should listen to Justice Ginsburg. And she, in as everyone knows, in her final days, Uh, made clear to her family that she thought the next president should uh, install her replacement. And I think that's right. You know, look, people say, oh, it's only, you know, 43 days until the election. Actually, the election is now. It's, it's, you know, just a few days, you know, it's just over 40 days until the end of the election. Um, But we are already voting in states across this country in person, as well as through mail-in ballots. And, you know, no one has ever been confirmed to the Supreme Court this close to the general election when we're already in it, Uh, certainly not. So I think that Justice Ginsburg is correct on this. Right. So, of course... um President Trump not only um, disbelieves that she made that wish, uh, that he says- Which is gross. Uh, yeah, that's just- Totally gross, shamelessly. But he and Mitch McConnell are determined they're going to ignore her wish, even if, of course, her wish, as we know. They're going to ignore it and push ahead and ram through uh, replacement before November 3rd. Is there any way Democrats can block that? Well, I think, you know, I'm certainly not accepting that as a reality. And I think that we, you know, don't know yet whether Mitch McConnell has the votes to do that. Um, Certainly, it seems as if the Democrats are in agreement that for the legitimacy of the court to reflect the ongoing election in this country and the will of the people, it makes sense to have the next president, whoever he may be, uh, to name her replacement. Whether there are some Republicans who will agree with that, it already seems as if Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski believe that there should not be a vote before the election. You know, I I think there could well be more Republicans who join them. And certainly that is a focus right now of lots and lots and lots of advocacy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, wrapped up in that whole debate, 
is the question of trust and what whether your word is worth anything. Mm. And I know in the when I started in politics and as a lobbyist in Sacramento, uh, Republican or Democrat, the key test was, and the best thing you could say about someone, I may disagree with him, but you can believe his or her word, right? And now mm. we have in the Senate, does your word mean anything anymore? When you look at what Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio and Colin, I mean, Cory Gardner and go down the list, all said in 2016, and now what they're saying today, um, right? You, you can't you can't take them at their word. Well, it's it's a it's it's the idea of standards applying on something as important as a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. Um, I'm not a political strategist. I like I said, I am a constitutional lawyer. Um, so perhaps I'm you know, thinking that the court deserves more than kind of brute political force and, you know, just craven political exercises of power. And when you're talking about something like the court, which really needs to be considered legitimate in order to really fulfill its constitutional function, um, you know, Justices are not voted on by the people. There is obviously a connection to the people in that they are nominated and confirmed by elected leaders, but their power comes from their legitimacy as an independent arbiter of justice. And when you see the way in which they are appointed be sort of whiplashed from one president to another, you know, Mitch McConnell's rules apparently in 2016 apply when there's a Democratic president nominating uh, the Supreme Court justice, but not when there's a president of his own party. And that really chips away, and maybe even more than chips away, at the legitimacy of the Supreme Court in the mind of the people. And that's really important. Mm -hmm. We do not know um, whom the president's nominee will be. He says he's going to make, at, at, he, at least he's waiting until the memorial services for Justice Ginsburg are over, and he's going to announce that, he says, on Saturday. But the leading contender is a woman by the name of Amy Comey Barrett, who was appointed, uh, confirmed to the uh, Seventh Circuit Appeals Court just three years ago. Uh, she met with uh, President Trump on Monday at the White House. What do we know about her? And should we concern, be concerned about her as a potential Supreme Court justice? So I would say, first of all, we should be concerned about any Trump nominee because he has made very, very clear that he has a series of litmus tests that apply to anyone he is going to nominate to the Supreme Court. Right. that they will be willing to strike down the protections of the Affordable Care Act, including protections for pre-existing conditions, that they will be willing to gut Roe versus Wade and undercut, get rid of abortion rights for people in this country, and that they would be willing to drastically expand Second Amendment protections from the bench of the Supreme Court. So at, out of the gate, we should be concerned about anybody. Now, Judge Amy Coney Barrett does, even in her short time on the bench, have very concerning rulings that relate to important issues 
like protections for LGBTQ Americans, immigrants, um, the Affordable Care Act, and abortion rights. So we should be concerned about this particular nominee. We should be concerned about any nominee to the bench. And, you know, I think that one of the, actually the, the last opinion that Justice Ginsburg wrote um, had to do with the way that the right has been pitting religious liberty against protections, against against anti-discrimination protections, particularly for LGBTQ Americans. Um, and I think, you know, looking at Justice Ginsburg's legacy, those words that she wrote about making sure that we have religious liberty, but also have the guarantees of the Constitution protecting against discrimination uh, both way equally, then, you know, Justice Judge Barrett or Justice Barrett should be extremely frightening to progressives. But Judge Barrett has, in fact, almost stated that she would vote to overrule and reverse Roe v. Wade, hasn't she? It's very clear that that's what she would do. Absolutely. And, you know, what we've seen thus far on the court in the abortion case that they heard um, after the retirement of Justice Kennedy, Chief Justice Roberts joined with the more liberal justices in that particular case to apply precedent that struck down restrictions on abortion clinics. And a lot of people, I think, took that as a sign of relief, but they absolutely should not because that particular case, which the court just heard last term, was basically exactly the case that they had just heard when Justice Kennedy was on the court. Um, Mm. And so Chief Justice Roberts, as the steward of the Supreme Court, you know, had to basically join with the liberals in that particular case because it was exactly the same. Now, you bring the court a slightly different set of restrictions on abortion care um, or even a straight shot at the right to abortion itself. And I really um, would expect him to strike at the heart of abortion rights. So, he is not going to save us. And frankly, if we get a Justice Coney Barrett to make a 6-3 conservative majority, they wouldn't even need Chief Justice Roberts in order right. to strike down abortion rights. So if Republicans are successful um, in Mitch McConnell and Trump particularly in pushing this through through November 3rd, there's already talk of if Democrats win back the Senate, uh, and the White House, or at least the Senate, some things that they might do, um, not in retaliation, but maybe to uh, correct the system so um, things work better in the future. I'd like to ask you about a few of these ideas on a, a double purpose. Number one, is it a good idea? And number two, is it constitutionally correct? Or is there any constitutional mm. problem with it? So let's start with uh, the filibuster, bringing back the filibuster. So the filibuster does exist for Supreme Court, maybe also for lower court judges. Good idea and constitutional problem? So, you know, I I think that whether or not the filibuster rules apply um, are something that the 
the Senate can decide as a matter of its internal rules. You know, there are constitutional arguments um, uh, on both sides for the filibuster and against it. Um, you know, I, it has been used for uh, bad reasons in history, and it's been used for good reasons in history. And so I think, um, you know, taking that long view of history, it's always a little dangerous to think that uh, doing it, you know, whether abolishing it or restoring it will be helpful to your political side. It's a tool that can be used for good or ill, um, and mm -hmm. it certainly has been throughout history. Um, you know, it does seem like the Democrats um, seem to want to have rules that apply and then the Republicans get into power and uh, <laughs> are happy to get rid of them and have more freewheeling uh, reign to impose their agenda. But uh, the filibuster, I think, is is something that the Senate can decide for themselves. I don't know whether Democrats would want to hamstring themselves uh, by restoring it when it comes to just judges or not. Okay, how about adding two more seats to the Supreme Court? We heard that, I think, a couple of years ago. Uh, actually, last year, Pete Buttigieg made that part of his agenda when he was running in, in the in the primary. And now people are saying again, okay, we're going to show you, we'll put two more seats on the Supreme Court if you go through with this. So the Constitution does not specify the number of justices that should be on the Supreme Court, and it has fluctuated throughout history, um, not for a while now, but it, it, it has, and it could again. You know, I think that the what that proposal, I think, reflects is that there, as we just talked about earlier, there needs to be a connection between the public and the court on a through line of legitimacy. And if the public starts to view the court as illegitimate because, you know, you think one seat is a stolen seat from Merrick Garland, if there is a justice installed while voting is going on, that is viewed as illegitimate then the addition of two seats perhaps to the court would be restoring that legitimacy. So, you know, I think there is a kind of democratic, uh, you know, lowercase d argument for that. That's important. And um, I think that the voters now know that the Supreme Court is at stake in this election. And the eyes of the nation are on the Senate for what they do with this seat that has been um, occupied by an icon, Justice Ginsburg, someone who is revered and respected and whose loss is real for the country. And if Mitch McConnell does something so craven and so illegitimate by rushing through a nominee from President Trump, who could very well be ruling on election issues related to his reelection. You know, there's already election shenanigans going on with what mm -hmm. he has done it with through his appointee at the post office. So that would be viewed as such a crisis of legitimacy, I think, for the court that proposals like expanding the court, um, I think, start to make much more sense. Right. Uh, and finally, the compromise that some people, I believe even uh, Vice President Biden, uh, put forward is, OK, 
Uh, you may want to you'll have a nominee and you may want to have some hearings, but no vote before November 3rd. Uh, and then if Trump wins, they can vote. If Biden wins, the nominee is withdrawn and he appoints the for the vacancy uh, in January. Uh, is that a reasonable, assuming the votes are there for that, a reasonable way out of this crisis? I think that's certainly that's certainly uh, a very reasonable uh, compromise in the sense that the person who is elected by the people in our ongoing election that ends on November 3rd would be determining who sits on the Supreme Court. Um, you know, we've we've got to, I think, make sure that that person is the one who determines who fills Justice Ginsburg's seat and whether the vote comes after November 3rd um, or not, as long as it's that president who's do doing the selecting, then I think that's the key thing. You know, I would say that, look, if you have a nominee like Amy Coney Barrett or frankly, any Trump nominee given his litmus tests, that is going to be an enormous driver for voters. Um, I guess on the Republican side, certainly, but also on the progressive side. Progressives have really woken up to the crucial importance of the court. And given a nominee who would strike at the heart of the ACA, at the availability of affordable health care for all, who would strike down abortion rights, who would remove protections for LGBTQ Americans, place at risk any climate legislation that a President Biden or any other progressive president might put into place, and so on and so on and so on, that is just going to drive voters to the polls. Um, and frankly, I think all voters should be thinking about who sits on the bench when they uh, cast their ballots. But uh, this would certainly ensure that. And if they have a nominee before November 3rd, that's just going to put a face to those crucial issues. So if anything should energize the progressive or the Democratic base, this is it. And if people do want to get involved, people people always want to know what they can do. Um, following the direction of the Constitutional Accountability Center, uh, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out where they might be able to weigh in? Yeah, absolutely. So I really encourage you to check out our website, theusconstitution.org. You can nerd out on all sorts of awesome Supreme Court-related, <laughs> Constitution-related content. Follow us on Twitter, at MyConstitution. I'm at Elizabeth Wydra. Um, and you can check us out on Instagram as well. Elizabeth Wydra, you do great work. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, let's just hope we can uh, plow through this and come out on the, the, you know, the right with the right result here in a few weeks' time. Thanks, Amen Elizabeth. to that, Bill. Great to see you. And that was Elizabeth Wydra, president of the Constitutional Accountability Center. Let's take a quick break now on the Bill Press Pod. Today's podcast brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, a real powerhouse in the labor movement in this country. The Teamsters, one and a half million members strong, the largest and the most diverse of all the unions under President Jim Hoffa, representing a whole range of workers from sanitation workers in New York to vegetable workers in California, bakery workers in Maine or brewers in St. Louis, as they say, they represent everyone to a, from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. We salute the Teamsters, thank them 
For their good work and their support of the Bill Press Pod, check out their website at teamster.org. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back on the Bill Press Pod, speaking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and now the battle to name her replacement. And we're joined now by former Democratic Senator Byron Dorgan of North Dakota. Senator Dorgan, good to talk to you. Thanks for giving us some time on the Bill Press Pod. Well, nice to talk to you. Happy to do it. So, Senator, you were uh, in the Senate back in 1993 when uh, President Clinton nominated Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, uh, tell us about that uh, confirmation battle and uh, your vote. Well, I voted for her. I was really happy to do that. I you know, met with her a couple of times. Uh, she was a remarkable, remarkable uh, uh, lawyer. Uh, Supreme Court justice. She was a justice in the lower courts as well. But uh, she became, you know, the, the most identifiable person on the U.S. Supreme Court. And and much of that had to do with with the power of the ideas that she had about things. I, I, I just, I was so happy to see. And she was, as you know, that vote was an overwhelming vote. I think there were only three negative votes cast against her. Mm-hmm. Which is so unusual. Like 96 to 3, the vote was, or something very unusual. 96 to 3. And and the outpouring of uh, public affection for her since her death was announced Friday night in front of the Supreme Court, a sea of flowers and signs and candles. Have you ever seen any outpouring of affection like that for any Supreme Court justice in your life? Never, never. But, you know, she became uh, the notorious, uh, <laughs> RBG. That, was, that was the word they used, uh, 
RBG, and uh, and she was quite a remarkable, remarkable woman. There have been documentaries about her now, but the power of her idea uh, that 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 drove a whole series of opportunities for women in this country is extraordinary. But even more than that, on the Supreme Court, I mean, she represented uh, the American people in ways that were so strong. And when you, when you would be able to read her dissenting opinions, mm-hmm. they were the best, or, or the majority opinions, they were the best opinions written on the Supreme Court. Right. Such such an incredible uh, impact that she had on the court. So now the question is, Senator, who should, re, who should appoint her replacement? Well, whoever wins the presidency in November should... Uh, you know, represent the the opportunity to fill a vacancy on the Supreme Court, but it it, it ought to be that, not something else. It ought not be what uh, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are ha- are hatching up. I mean, that that is a, a circumstance that should not sit well with the American people, and uh, they should not be allowed to get this done, in my judgment. Uh, before November third, you're saying, well, or even after November third, if uh, if the Democrats it, right. win yeah. the presidency. Whoever wins this presidency, you know, it's really interesting. Mitch McConnell, uh, when they they uh, were able to keep Merrick Garland uh, off the court, it, it was eight or nine or ten months, right? Yes. Uh, he kept saying, "No, we've got it. What we have to do is wait and give the American people the choice. Let the American people vote." Well, now he seems to be swallowing those words, and uh, as do many of his colleagues in the Republican caucus, unfortunately. And uh, I just think it's really important. This would make it a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. It will put at risk the Affordable Care Act. That clearly will probably be gone. It'll put at risk Roe versus Wade. It'll put at risk racial justice issues. Uh, it's, it's just an unbelievable circumstance to have a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court. You know, they stole, as you know, they stole the Supreme Court justice uh, in the last year of Obama. And uh, now they're preparing to do another one. If you were still in the Senate today in the Democratic caucus, what would you be advising your fellow Democrats to do uh, to stop that from happening? Well, you know, it is not easy because uh, what they have done is they've taken the filibuster away, even on Supreme Court nominees. There is no circumstance in my judgment under any conditions that you ought to put someone for life on the United States Supreme Court who doesn't have some sort of a consensus of approval by the American people. That is why there needs to have been 60 votes, which was always the case, 60 votes to get a Supreme Court justice on the court. And and, and now um, Mitch McConnell, as you know, he threw that away, changed the rules in the United mm-hmm. Senate. And uh, it is it is outrageous. The American people ought to change the rules for Mitch McConnell as well. I think they ought to say to him, stay home for a while, us <laughs> out in Kentucky, and, uh, send somebody else up there that won't do what he has done, which is very hypocritical. So one step would be to, I guess, restore the filibuster, correct, for for Supreme Court nominees. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but they can't do that before this nominee. They're, they're not going to have the votes to do that. Uh, correct. I'm talking about the Democrats. Right. Um I guess the first step will be to line up, if possible, enough Republicans to vote uh, to delay until the next president can make the appointment. Correct. And what do you what do what do you know about that? Have you had any conversations with your former colleagues? Uh, we know there are two senators as we speak. 
two senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, have said they don't want to. They will not vote before um, the next president is decided. Uh, we we need two more Democrats. We need two more. Do you think that's possible? Don't know. Uh, I think maybe unlikely, but it, you know, it, it, you, we watched what happened in impeachment. We watched what's happened with the Republican caucus under Mitch McConnell. Uh, there are two Dem or two Republicans, rather, I should say, who have said that they uh, do not want to proceed to allow this nomination to go forward, at least not until the election is held. But uh, even even after that, th this needs to be the province of the new president that is sworn in on January 20th. If it's Donald Trump, he's going to make the nomination. But if it's Joe Biden, that seat ought to be Joe Biden's seat to nominate. Right. Um, there's also talk of responding, if the Republicans go forward with this, with adding two people to the Supreme Court. Is that something you would support, could support? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that's that's something that's after, the, after next year. Assuming that uh, we win the presidency, assuming that uh, the Democrats would control the Senate, there are a series of things that they might want to do, some of which uh, might you know, might be considered. I, I personally really do not want to see the United States Senate decide to abolish the filibuster. There's discussion about that among Democratic senators. But uh, I, I just think the Senate will become the House of Representatives. There will be nothing that represents the big decisions for this country that require some sort of national consensus. It'll be the majority plus one, right? And I just, I, I think that would be a huge mistake. But there will be tremendous uh, effort to try to do that. Can Democrats slow things down? I don't know. I'm just asking by not showing up. Well, I do think the first thing they ought to do is decide if if they if the Republicans proceed with this, they ought to inform uh, Mitch McConnell that they're not going to agree with anything. It doesn't matter whether it's the least important piece of information. There will be no unanimous sense agreed to in the United States Senate. None. Zero. You know, just the thing of approving the previous day's record. It's going to require a cloture vote, perhaps. It's going to require uh, every senator come to the floor to vote. Every insignificant issue should be forced to be voted on. And that will slow the Senate down and almost, in my judgment, uh, require the Senate can't work and get its job done. And the reason they have to threaten that is to say, you can't steal another judge here, another judgeship in the Supreme Court, which is what they're trying to do. In other words, um, play hardball. Is what you're saying, I guess. Absolutely. Look, they play hardball, and uh, I, you know, this notion of they go low, we go high. Well, that's going high is fine, but I tell you what, sometimes you, sometimes you have to get down and wrestle and uh, and have a, a strong heart and a pretty good sized muscle to uh, to make to have your way. And I just think it's important to do sometimes. This is the time to do it. How well do you think that Joe Biden has responded uh, to this? Uh, this news of um, Justice Ginsburg passing. I haven't seen all of his responses yet, but uh, you know, I think he's responded the way he should respond. Uh, this is an outrage. It really is an outrage. It's unfair to the American people, and uh, it will have an impact on much of our lives for decades if this happens. And so, you know, Joe Biden, I'm sure, as is everyone else from our perspective, uh, angry about uh, the hypocrisy here. The Republicans said Obama could not uh, succeed in Merrick Garland's nomination for the Supreme Court. And it took, you know, that was in 10 months because they said it was too soon. 
Let's wait until there's a presidential election. And after that, then we'll decide. Well, the fact is now it's what, 42 days. Yeah. I want to rush to the bank and, uh, and, you know, deposit somebody on the Supreme Court for life. It's unbelievable. Uh, and Biden has also tied this uh, debate over the vote and the nomination to his core central message, which is protect the Affordable Care Act, which will be the first item on the new court's agenda. Listen, these, these people have tried to kill the Affordable Care Act. I voted for that. It, it won by one vote in the United States Senate. I voted for it. I was proud to have voted for it. But they've tried to kill it now for a dozen years, 11 years. And uh, the fact is, Donald Trump, although he wants to kill it, and so do all of his folks in the Republican caucus, they want to kill it. Uh, he doesn't have a plan. What you'll have is, you know, millions and millions of Americans without health insurance as a result of this, if, they, if they're able to kill it. They put another conservative on the Supreme Court. They're going to kill the Affordable Care Act. And, and that's going to have a profound impact on the availability and the cost of health insurance across this country. When we did that, Bill, it's interesting, for the first time, we, we dealt with this issue of pre-existing conditions and said to insurance companies, you can't make your insurance either unaffordable or, or, or not available to people that have pre-existing health conditions. You must make it available. And uh, so that's the first time we did that. Now, the fact is, he's in court right now, Donald Trump is, and his Justice Department, uh, with the support of the attorneys generals, Republican attorneys generals, and the caucus and the Republican caucus in the Senate and the House. They're trying to kill it. And they have no plan to restore it. They have no plan behind it. Uh, so uh, there's a lot at stake here, and, and it's life or death. Uh, and I wanted to ask you finally, what impact do you think um, that this now battle over the confirmation will have first on the presidential race, uh, help Donald Trump or help Joe Biden, and secondly, on those important Senate races this year? Um, any impact at all, do you think? Boy, I wish I knew. I am, <laughs> you know what? I'm so confused about this because I, at first I thought, you know, well, maybe, maybe this is a case where that 30% that supports Donald Trump or whatever, the 30% who are, are pro-life, right? And opposed mm -hmm. abortion, opposed the woman's right to choose. Uh, they're highly motivated. So maybe this gets all of them out in higher numbers. I don't know. On the other hand, it may well be the American people may look at this and say, you know something, we've got a belly full of this nonsense. We're sick and tired of the lying. We're sick and tired of the cheating. And we're sick and tired of somebody trying to steal a Supreme Court nominee and uh, or nomination, I should say. So who? Kn I, I wish I knew, Bill. I, th this could go either way. Yeah. I know. It could energize Republicans. It could also energize Democrats. And uh it could. You know, we saw $100 million in the first couple of days, Democratic <laughs> donations to Act Blue to candidates you know, across the board. You know what? I have always thought this election is about one thing and one thing only. People would go to the ballot box and they'd, uh, they'd think, do I want four more years of this stuff? Is that what I really want? Four more years of this president? And so that I just thought this is only going to be about Trump. And then all of a sudden, all these new issues in, in just six months a pandemic, uh, an economic deep recession, uh, a Ruth Bader Ginsburg nomination. I mean, you know, the, all of these things have come up there new, and none of us quite understand how does this impact the American people. But I hope people take a look at this and they see the embarrassing nonsense coming out of this White House, the impulsiveness, the, 
the, the, the danger coming out of the White House and decide, you know what, we're, we've had enough of it. We're just uh, we're sick and tired of it. And do you think that, uh, you know, drips down, if you will, uh, into some of the Senate races? I don't imagine they call you for advice. But if a Cory Gardner, you know, or a Joni Ernst or uh, were to call you and, and Tom, I mean, Tom Tillerson, North Carolina and say, hey, you know, I'm in a tough race. This presents a problem for me. How? What should I do? What would <laughs> no, they, they don't they don't call me, Bill. But, I, you know, I would say if if someone you're supporting, in this case, President Trump is doing something that is just stupid and, and you know, unexplainable. And, and seen as terribly unfair, maybe maybe it's up to you to say that. Maybe it's up to you to say, I'm not going along with this nonsense any longer. But that's not going to happen. It, you know, I do think that he probably will not cast a vote before Election Day, so they don't put those Republican mm-hmm. close races in that position. But uh, I think after, right after the election, I think these guys are, are on a path that's terrible for this country. Yeah. Well, now we have not only the uh, campaign, but a confirmation battle. So the next 42 days should be very interesting. Senator Dorgan, you and I will both be watching and we'll see how it plays out. Thanks, Bill. Good to be with you. And that's it for today's podcast with Elizabeth Wydra and Byron Dorgan. Thank you so much for joining us. And we want to have you there every time. So please subscribe to The Bill Press Pod if you haven't already done so. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, just pull up The Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe, and you are in. And I also ask you to follow me on Twitter so we can be together even in between podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it. Again, thanks for joining. Stay strong, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.